I wonder tonight, do we love the Saviour's name? I wonder, is the name of Jesus a special name to us? I wonder, is it a name that just rings, blesses our hearts and thrills our souls and just warms us within whenever we mention and think of the Saviour's name? Well, this passage in Ephesians speaks to us of the wonderful blessings that we have in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, if you like a title, I often like a title. I always have a title on the message that I've entitled tonight, Wealth and Riches. Wealth and Riches. Now, I find myself looking whilst looking at these verses that this is one of the most incredible and life-changing passages in the whole of the Bible. Mind you, I often reflect that if you heard me preaching next week, I might also say the same thing about next week's passage as well. But this is an incredible passage and a fantastic few verses to read. It's interesting to note concerning this passage that in verses 3 to 14, if we were reading it tonight in the original Greek, we would need to take a massively big deep breath at verse 3 because in the original Greek, this is all one long sentence from verse 3 right the way through to verse 14. Am I, when you're talking about sentences, that's a long one, isn't it? And um, as far as I'm aware, and any Greek experts can correct me on this, I'm as far as I'm aware, it's the longest Greek sentence in the New Testament. You Please do feel free to correct me on that afterwards. But you just try saying this uh, without taking a breath. It will take some doing. All the way from verse 3, uh, to verse 14, which we concluded our reading. It's interesting to note also that in this one long sentence, there is actually a natural and a simple three divisions contained within it. For we find when looking at this passage that we read, it divides into three parts in and around the three persons of the Trinity. So therefore we discover in this passage the blessings talked about in these verses uh, are gathered about uh, the three persons of the Trinity in that we discover the work of the Father, uh, the work of the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit, all contained with this, this, with this one unique sentence in the original. Verses 3 to 6 talk about the work and blessings of the Father. Uh, verses 7 to 12, the work and blessings of the Son. And it's worth noting, isn't it? I don't know whether you noticed it while we're reading through these verses, the rich language that Paul uses to describe the Son and our relationship to Him and the blessings that we have in and through Him. And then in verses 13 to 14, we have the work and blessings of the Holy Spirit as well. Now let me ask you a question. If I say it to you tonight, what is the first thing that comes into your mind when I utter the words wealth and riches? What would they be? Maybe for some of you, you'd think about your bank balance. Uh, Maybe for others, you'd think about other things. But I could almost guarantee that on a busy day in Peel Street, if you had a wander up and down the street and you just randomly stop people and you randomly ask people, what's the first thing when you talked about wealth and riches would come into your mind? 
I would almost guarantee that 100% of them would talk to you in terms of pounds and pence. I almost said pounds, shillings and pence. Pounds and pence. They would tell you about their salaries. They would tell you about their cars. They would tell you about their houses, maybe. They would maybe tell you about, if they wanted to, about their jewellery and all the many different things they possessed. And this is what people would gauge wealth and riches in. Money can become so important in a mind's content and money can become the be-all and end-all in the lives of people. But not when we think about the wealth and riches that the Lord Jesus has blessed us with and are highlighted in this passage. For this passage is speaking and reminding us and talking about something which is much more precious than simply pounds and pence. Something which is much more precious than any gold or any diamond or any jewellery. In reality, therefore, what are the benefits or the worth of riches in the world in the material sense? They are at best only for use in this world. Uh, They are only for our use uh, while we have them here and now. Uh, Job had the measure of this fact, didn't he? When he concluded, uh, after he had lost everything, in Job chapter 1 and verse 21, Job uttered these words and said, Naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And whilst Job was blessed again in life, the reality still remains that material wealth only benefits us for the t- our time here on earth. And when we leave this world, we can take nothing with us. And when we leave this world, we will have nothing of benefit from any material wealth in which we persist. No matter how much we have, and no matter how much we've enjoyed it in this world, the benefit of worldly wealth ends the moment we leave this world. There's a story told of a grave digger uh, who had to dig a grave. And he had to dig a grave of a particularly wealthy person. And this wealthy person, as everyone does through time, passed away. And he left very specific details in his will. About the few pounds that he gave to this person and the few pounds he gave to that person. And the house was left with somebody else. But the majority of his wealth, which he had accumulated over many years, was wealth that uh, was in gold and diamonds, which he treasured more than anything else he ever possessed in this world. And as he wrote his will, in the presence of the lawyer, to make sure there's absolutely no mistake about it, the whole wealth estimated to be approximately a hundred million pounds. All this gold, all these diamonds, were to be placed in the coffin with him, buried in the ground, so that in his mind he could take it with him. So that's exactly what happened. The undertaker uh, was instructed. The coffin was prepared 
and all his wealth was very, very carefully laid in the coffin. And so the service took place. The coffin was lowered in the grave. And that was that. All his wealth lowered with him. The grave digger started filling the hole in. And as he often would, he went home to have tea. And after tea, he fell asleep. And as he was falling asleep, falling asleep and half awake and half asleep, he began to think to himself. He began to think to the what a waste all that money buried in the coffin with him. And as he began to think about it, the old cog started to turn. I've got a plan, he said. I know what I'm going to do. So not at all being a dishonest man, he grabbed his checkbook, hurried off to the graveyard, opened the coffin, retrieved all the gold and the diamonds, wrote a check for 200 million, just to be on the safe side, and placed it in the coffin with him. Now you can imagine that's not a true story. But it illustrates the point, doesn't it, that whatever we think we have in this world, in terms of earthly wealth, in eternity, it's of no value whatsoever, no matter what ends we go to, to ensure we take it with us. And we discover, don't we, the riches talked about here in Ephesians 1 are most definitely for this world, for we know the benefits of these riches in our lives if we are God's children this evening. We know the blessing of these lives in their dead lives day by day. They are most definitely for this world. But crucially also, the Bible teaches us that we carry with them the eternal blessings on into eternity. The, benef- the blessings and benefit inner work and service for the king. I say this often, but I'm convinced of the fact that in heaven we'll be amazed uh, when all is revealed, when we fail to grasp and realize the riches of God's presence that we had whilst here on this earth. I don't know whether any of you have ever heard of a lady called Hetty Green. Uh, She lived a long time ago in America and was uh, deemed to be one of America's most wealthy women. Uh, But she wasn't famous for her wealth. She was famous for being what's described as America's greatest miser. Uh, She had a hundred million dollars in her account. Uh, She would eat cold oat meat to save heating it. She never had any form of heating on in the house. Uh, Her son had a leg amputated because she spent so long a time looking for a free clinic in order to treat him. And she died of a stroke that was caused, brought about, through a ferocious argument, uh, arguing over the fact that skim milk should be cheaper than whole milk. And she left this world on that basis. Hattie Green did not enjoy the riches of her wealth that she had. She had so much money, 
She had so much at her disposal, and yet she lived a life of poverty. And you know, in the very real sense, the danger for you and for me, if we are Christians tonight, we live this life in poverty, spiritually speaking, instead of enjoying the rich blessings of God's grace that he pours down upon us day by day. And this is the essence of what Paul is talking about here. It's not material wealth Paul is getting so excited about in this chapter. But in contrast to material wealth, he's speaking about, in verse 3, spiritual blessings. Spiritual blessings in heavenly places in uh, Christ. First, let us, for just for a few moments, discover, look at, uh, discover the requirement in Christ. All the blessings that Ephesians is talking about, in fact, all the blessings that the Bible is talking about for us, only come to us in Christ, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. In and through the person and work of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. In fact, this is a truth that is stressed throughout the book of Ephesians. This is one of the key themes in the book of Ephesians, with phrases like, in Christ or in him. And in reality, of course, this is where it all starts. This is the starting point for us to enjoy heavenly blessings. This is the starting point for us to enjoy being part of God's family. The sense of belonging to our Heavenly Father all only come about through Jesus, our Saviour, in Him. And when He is Lord of our lives and central within our lives, in fact, the only spiritual blessings that ever came to us from God are those which come to us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Therefore, we understand without a shadow of doubt, and therefore we understand without the Lord Jesus in our lives, rather than just simply on our minds, we know we can know nothing of God's blessings. And this, you see, is what makes the Christian faith real. This is what transforms lives. And this is, in essence, essence what makes the difference between simply a churchgoer and someone uh, who has met the risen Saviour uh, and in whom the risen Saviour is living. It's not just an exercise in theology, is it? It's not just an exercise of learning as much about the Bible as we can. It's an exercise of coming to the Lord Jesus and finding our sins forgiven through the work that he has done. Finding that new life which he and he alone can give to us and knowing the blessings that he alone can give to us in him, through filled, uh, cleansed uh, by his precious blood, which he shed for us, filled by the Holy Spirit, surely our lives can't help but be transformed. But we see in addition to the requirement in Christ, for none of the blessings that God can give to us, we can access or have in any other way but through Christ. 
we see the source. The source is from heaven. Look at this verse again, verse 3. All the blessings come to us in Christ from heaven. For verse 3 is talking about in heavenly places or heavenly realms. This is not just simply a reference to heaven, but vitally for you and me, Paul is talking about here, about the present experience of those blessings that he wants to bless us with. These heavenly realms, which is a favourite subject again in Ephesians, are the realms of invisible reality. The realms of that invisible help that we as God's children have by our side day by day and moment by moment. So that we, like the psalmist, can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we know that he's there. We know his hand is there to lead us and continue to guide us. He is the one who was there. The invisible reality of his presence. The heavenly, the, the blessings that come from him. Paul reminds us of this fact also in Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18 where we read, While we look not at things which are seen, but at things which are not seen. For the things which are seen here are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And they are, therefore they are blessings from a heavenly source. It's about, you see, what God is doing, not what we are doing. It's about God's resources, not our resources. It's about God's power, not our power. It's about how God is working on our behalf, totally unseen by us, but very much experienced and felt by us day by day. You know, I love the story of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. I wonder if you can remember the story. Elisha um, was, was a prophet of the day, and uh, the king of Syria was um, trying to invade uh, the, the, the Israelites again and uh, trying to cause trouble. But every time he hatched a plot, Elijah went to the king and told him, look out, for the king of Syria is coming here. So it was prepared for him. It was no surprise. And the king of Syria became very, very frustrated by it. And the king of Assyria eventually, through uh, questioning his officers and command captains, uh, thinking that one of them was uh, letting the secrets out, they eventually came up with the answer, the real answer, that it was none of them, but it was the prophet Elisha who was telling the king all that was spoken in the privacy. So the king of Syria came and surrounded Elisha and the little village that Elisha was living in right around this army of the Syrians came to take Elisha. Elisha's servant got up in the moment and you can almost, got up in the morning and you can almost imagine him wandering out of the, the hut that they lived in, the, the house that they lived in. And as he was rubbing his eyes in the morning, just trying to see, opened his eyes and suddenly this vast army in front of him. This huge army, the, the king of Syria, 
had come to get Elisha. And of course, as you can imagine, he ran in and, and in panic and stress. Uh, we're not told whether Elisha was awake. I would suspect he would be well awake. And uh, he told them the predicament that they were in. And what was the answer that Elisha gave? Second Kings chapter 6 and verse 16. And he answered and said, Fear not, for the they that we be with us are more than they that be with them. Open your eyes, see the hills run about us, and the chariots of the Lord were surrounding them, and they were kept safe. And so it's from heaven all our blessings come. It's not our strength. It's not either our witness. Our, 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 um, it's not even our um, skill. Um, it's all what God is doing uh, through us. And we're reminded, aren't we, that fantastic verse. His grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. Always enough. Always sufficient. Apparently in the old days, Rolls-Royce never used to disclose the power of their engines. This in the day when Rolls-Royce really were Rolls-Royce. And a man uh, wrote to compliment Rolls-Royce on, uh, on the car that he purchased. He expressed his delight in driving it and uh, the comfort and the quietness. And he said, I am so impressed also of the power of the engine and the way it performs. Could you tell me how much the engine, how much power the engine produces? Rose Rose wrote back, as you would expect them to, thanked them for the letter, and replied in regard to the power of the engine, it's sufficient. And that's all they said. And God's grace is sufficient for you and for me. God's blessings for you and for me from heaven are always sufficient for whatever we face in this world as his children. Thirdly, though, we discover, don't we, not only the source and not only the requirement in Christ, but the substance of these spiritual blessings. What is a spiritual blessing? It is a blessing that is heaven-generated rather than earthly-generated. Therefore, it is the enormity of what God intends to do for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Christian life, you see, is all about what God is doing for us rather than what we are doing for ourselves. The Christian life is all about his spiritual blessings rather than what we create or manufacture. And when we stand back and see what God is doing, our hearts and our mouths cannot help but sing the words that hymn we sang, How great thou art. And if we are in Christ this evening, God has 
great riches uh, for us through verse 7b through the riches of his grace to bless us with this evening. And the problem for us so often is that we skim over them and we fail to see fully, grasp fully, what the Lord has in store for us. A rich man was in the habit of giving his wife an expensive piece of jewellery every year on her birthday. One year he went, to, uh, he would phone, he might phone the jeweller and say, send me your finest pearl necklace along with your bill. Or send me your finest diamond pendant along with your bill. Or send the finest emerald bracelet or ruby ring. Each time the jeweller did as the rich man asked, dispatch the messenger to the rich man's mansion to deliver the jewellery piece in a box along with his bill. But every year, the rich man would play a game with the jeweller. He would send the messenger back to the jeweller. Along, um, he would send the messenger back to to the jeweller, uh, along with an original box, a note, and a check. The check was always written uh, in the amount of several thousand dollars less than the price of the jeweller's bill. The note would say, Sir, I like the jewellery piece, but I do not like the price. If you will accept the enclosed check for the reduced amount, then please return the jewellery box with the seal unbroken. Now for years the jeweller put up with the rich man's game, accepting the reduced check and returning the box with the seal unbroken, as he'd been asked to do. He still made a profit on the jury, even if it was a lower profit than he wanted to have made. And at least he was able to keep the rich man's trade year after year. In time, however, as I'm sure you can imagine, the jeweller began to tire of this practice. Finally the day came when the rich man placed an order for a lavish diamond necklace. The jeweller decided he would get he would not get his wings clipped again. As usually as usual, the jeweller sent the necklace in the box, along with his bill. Again, as usual, the box was returned with a reduced check for payment and the usual note that goes with it. Enough was enough. The jeweller was exasperated. The jeweller refused to check, kept the box, and sent the messenger away in disgust. But when he opened the box to reclaim the necklace, he found that the necklace had been removed. And in its place was a check for the entire amount of the jeweller's bill. For the years, the rich man had been sending the entire asking price of the jewellery each year, hidden inside the sealed jewellery box. And you know, seriously, when I look at the Word of God, now look at the Bible, I ask myself, am I opening up 
the Word of God? Or am I just skimming over it, reading it? I don't know what you do in your daily devotions, whether you set about reading massive chunks or whether you read smaller portions. I visit, um, I visit a gentleman in Ramsey and um, he reads the Bible every day uh, but he just reads a handful of verses. He might read four or five verses and uh, then he'll go over them again. He'll read them. He'll dissect them. He'll look at them. And uh, and then he will put his Bible down. And that'll be it. Just this uh, last few uh, weeks, months, he's been reading through Leviticus. And uh, every now and then I get a question when I go and see him about uh, something that he's read. Um, now maybe we feel that we wouldn't want to go through the Bible in such a slow way as that. Um, but you know, I sometimes feel convicted myself that we're kind of concerned with reading without actually understanding and taking in. I can remember as a, as a teenager, uh, going to a, a, a Christian um, a Bible Bible camp, and um, you know, and we we met a lot of other young people, teenagers um, from other churches, other places, and um, you know, we were all challenged uh, about reading the Bible. And um, I remember going home from that, and I was reading chapters and chapters and chapters every day. Um, you know, I thought that was maybe the best thing to do, just read chapters and chapters and chapters every day, um, which is good. Um, but I think we need to also, however much we're reading, whether we're like Peter in Brookfield, or whether like maybe we've all done it sometime, reading chapters and chapters, we need to stop and, in the language of that, um, of that little story, we need to open the box and discover the riches of God's grace that he has for you and for me. If we are a Christian tonight, if we've given our lives to Jesus, if our eyes have been opened, he's drawn us unto him, himself, then he has great riches in store for you, for you to take the time and discover them. If we're not a Christian tonight and we've never come to that point and um, we're a church, which is great, and it's lovely to see you in church tonight and thank you very, very much for coming. But God has more for you than just simply knowing about him. He wants you to know him in a real sense and trust him for yourself.